welcome to episode 71 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast to be headed to Baltimore all in one car next weekend, I hey. guess. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So I was planning on not going, but I got my arm twisted into it. We so roped him into it. Yeah. Yeah. Going to be <laughs> playing my favorite constructed format in modern this weekend. Uh, modern. Um, you know. Modern's fine. Modern's fine. It's crazy how much our perspectives of these formats have shifted over the past couple of months. Because I feel like a couple of months ago, I you know I think the consensus was that modern was great and standard was awful. <laughs> but now it's the complete opposite. And I don't know if it's that modern has really gotten any worse. I think modern's kind of just stayed a little stagnant, and probably we're a little more. A little, a little more familiar with it, and a little more bored of it, and now standard is this new exciting thing. So it's like definitely shifted that paradigm a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely hitting a saturation point with modern as well, especially you know when when your focus is on the SCG tour, and you know it's been a while since they pretty much knocked standard off of the tour, but that yeah. really leaves because legacy is just not really a format that can be supported either so that just leaves an enormous amount of modern to be played mm. on the tour and it gets to a point where especially given the ship's passing in the night nature of the format <laughs> right where you're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again um and it, it can get a little bit a little bit tedious at times and i think people are starting to 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 catch catch on to that a little bit more than than they have in the past yeah yeah that's fair but yeah, you know, anyways, that said, uh, we are playing Modern this weekend, mm-hmm. and so, you know, we're, we're going to do our best to, to look at all the numbers and the and the, and the the charts and the data yeah. to figure out what we're going to do. Yeah, cause, and it's not just Baltimore next weekend. Um, you know, RPTQs are this weekend and I guess the next weekend, and so any LCQs for that are all, and those, those are modern RPTQs, yeah, and then yeah, the yeah. LCQs are also modern, so mm-hmm. hopefully most people listening to this are, are hoping for some modern content at this point so like it, it is time for us to talk about it so for sure let's do it yeah definitely so i want to thank our patrons real quick before we start uh newest patron marcus really appreciate the support definitely a big deal and really helps us out i if you haven't gotten your address to me yet please do either on twitter or discord or wherever just dm me your address so i can make sure to get some tokens out to you and yeah that's that's pretty much it for that oh wait i do have a keeper mall yeah so so this is a pretty weird one i i'll just i'll I'll just say it and then give some of my thoughts on it okay so this is flame blade adept faithless looting fiery temper mountain and three arclight phoenixes so okay the hand has a huge amount of potential and a lot of what you want to be doing right because flame blade adept on turn one is awesome Right. Um, card is real good. It's got the Faithless Looting to discard these Phoenixes. It doesn't, in the hand itself, have a plan for triple spelling to get the Phoenixes into play. But I guess that doesn't really what matter the, so what much. What was the other lo- looting card? There's a Burning Inquiry in here? There's a Fiery Temper. A Fiery Temper. Okay, gotcha. So you do get to turn that on with the Faithless Looting, but... Well, not really, because you're you're kind of flooded on cards that you want to It's true. That's right. true. And that, that's a big part of why this hand feels, mm-hmm. you know, like... This is less of a, like, should I keep or should I mull? I think you have to keep hands like this in yeah. index like this. Yeah. But it, it's more of a why I don't really like decks like this sort of thing. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you're just kind of hoping to get there or whatever, and you know you're not sure if if you are based on looking at the hand. Right, because the the deck runs four faithless lootings, four burning inquiries, four goblin lords, and four mana morphoses. That makes keeper mulligan decisions like pretty tough because you don't know what cards are in your hand a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean this hand, and the the way that this deck plays out is pretty weird a lot of the time. Uh, like. The the Faithless Lootings usually don't get cast on turn one. Um, the the Flameblade Adept is actually a really big reason to keep this hand. Yeah. Because it just, like, gives you so much extra value off of your, your lootings and burning inquiries and stuff. Uh, well, the reason that I liked this hand initially was exactly because of the Flameblade mm-hmm. Adept. You just get to slam something on turn one that's guaranteed to be a threat and get in for three points of damage. That, you know, unless they kill it, of course. But... Mm-hmm. You're just kind of like starting off on the board with tempo and you're putting cards where they want to be with the Phoenix. Yeah. And in that process, you're drawing more cards. So I just feel like if we're not keeping a hand like this, then this deck is completely unplayable. Right. How, <laughs> right. And, and I, I think that's like one of the conclusions that I mostly come to is yeah. like you have to be keeping hands like this. It makes me not want to play decks like this. Sure. But it is a departure from the philosophy of... You know, I don't want to keep a seven that doesn't that that like needs something. If yeah. your deck is built around looting effects, then a lot of your hands are going to need something. Yeah, but yeah, they're yeah, going to have sure. the tools to hopefully get there. And this hand does need both lands and you know some other way to to like multi spell. And it's kind mm-hmm. of awkward because like Manamorphose is one of those main ways, but you can't loot into it because you've already like used a mana for the turn when you do that. Um, but we're probably setting up for a little bit longer. This is unlikely to be turn two phoenixes. It's much more likely to be like turn three phoenixes or something like that, or even just a long value game. Yeah. Um, but the presence of phoenixes, so many phoenixes in the hand means that, especially since game one, they're unlikely to have graveyard hate. This is, this deck is not super constructed to go long because instead of cantrips, it's like burning inquiries and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the phoenixes do give you some some amount of staying power. So even if you don't explode out of the gates, like this hand can grind. And the way that I envision this hand playing out is it's likely that turn one, you're going to play your guy. Mm-hmm. Turn two, you're going to probably cast looting. And it's likely that you're going to discard... Two phoenixes. Yep. You know, unless you drew already a land to play on your turn two to have access to the discarding a fire temper. Yeah. But I think the fire temper is pretty likely to be just like another one mana spell. Yeah. After you loot into another, you know, a cantrip or something, hopefully. And I'm more likely to want to discard the phoenixes on turn two than the fiery temper, unless I'm playing against specifically humans, you know? Right, or, yeah, or they just, like, play a really juicy target. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But whether or not you get to make that play at this point is up in the air because we don't have a second land. Right, right. We'd have to rip it on the one, one, the draw, one step draw step yeah. if we're on the play, for sure. Which is another one of the reasons <laughs> that Fiery Temper is very awkward. Yeah. But this, this hand kind of reminds me of, I guess, one of these, like, mulligan decision-making process Mm-hmm. theories that i've been working on yeah. i don't really know what to label it but i've started to notice particularly because i've been playing some tron lately mm-hmm. and tron's opening hands are all about whether or not they can find tron mm-hmm. right so when i'm thinking about my decision making process whenever i'm mulliganing with tron i'm looking at my lands and you know the the cards that equate to lands right you know the maps and the sylvan's crying so i'm saying okay does this hand represent a path towards turn three or four tron Mm -hmm. 
and I'm starting to really recognize what all of those paths look like. Right. And some of those paths towards turn three or four Tron involve getting there in some capacity. Yeah. Because some of the hands are, you know, two different Tron pieces and a Sylvan Scrying and no green source. Mm -hmm. You're going to keep those hands because you have a lot of, your deck is built to be able to deliver you a green source. Yep. You have a ton in your deck. You've got, you know, eight rocks, you know, the forests, all that stuff. Yep. So, so the whole concept that I'm trying to pull from this is the concept of uh, understanding all of the sequences that get you there. Mm -hmm. And with Tron, it's very simple because getting there is very clear and it's getting assembling a Tron, right? right? But I think that this applies a lot also to Mulligan Theory in other decks as well. You really need to pay attention to the sequences in the early turns that you're looking for. Like, what do all of your best openers look like? Everybody knows what their, like, dream draw looks like, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not really talking about your your nut draw, your dream draw with each deck. Because, you know, anybody can sculpt their perfect draw with their hands, right? I'm talking more about what do the sequences look like? What do the patterns look like of what your openers are in the games that you end up winning? Mm -hmm. If you can start to remember those patterns of like what are the early patterns in my opening hands where i start winning so with humans for example it's pretty simple it's in, or in like the best draws out of humans all involve one draw so if you have and and that simplifies it a little bit because now all i need to look for in my opener is a one drop and you know lands and spells right. but you know it, we're kind of getting past just lands and spells with this theory just <laughs> um so uh so i really like mulliganing towards hands that 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 have the pieces necessary for me to curve out into one of the sequences that I believe will result in me winning the game mm -hmm. with my deck. Um, and I think that your hand with the Phoenix deck is a really clear example of a hand that has the pieces that can turn into one of my better draws. Right. Right? You, Definitely. You have your turn one creature into a turn two looting spell already. Right. right? So that's already part of the sequence that we understand to be very powerful out of this deck. Mm hmm so because we can recognize the pat the patterns, you know, and this is why you need to practice with the decks that you want to play, right? Right. Because these sequences and this pattern recognition that you get out of seeing these hands play out is what's going to inform your mulligan decisions. Because you're going to eventually get to a point where you can say, you know, I know what my deck is capable of, and I know that this hand, while it has lands and spells, doesn't have any of the opening sequences that I know to win a game. So I'm going to mulligan it. Mm -hmm. Right, that that I think is where this tool can get you if you really like focus in on it or whatever. Yeah. But I've been like thinking about that recently, and I don't know if I can put it well enough into words quite yet. I hope that made sense. No, no, definitely. <laughs> okay, and it, and it's worth it's also worth talking about like you know what is the thing that your deck has the hardest time doing, sort of, and and like what in order to like weight your mulliganing decisions towards that. So like you know. Tron, the thing that it has the hardest time doing is, like, getting the Tron together. Like, that's, like, like it is built towards doing that, and it's not that hard to do, but that's what yeah. your mulligan decisions need to be biased towards. Right. And, like, if I'm looking at a hand and it has no payoffs in it, like, I don't care. Like, that's not, that's almost just not part of the, exactly. like, right. It's like not part analysis. of the formula. It's not part of the sequences that you understand. Because but... drawing an Ugin is really easy once you have <laughs> Tron out. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so, like, with this hand, 
you know, the way that the deck is constructed, they're just this is the hollow one version of the deck. So there just aren't that many threats in the deck and like having access to the threats is very important. You know, it's a lot of air because it has all of the the looting effects. Yeah. Um and and you don't necessarily know that the looting effects will give you threats. They're relatively likely to. But this hand is chock full of threats and it's not that hard to get more of the air that like turns them on so starting with a flame blade adept and then having access to all these Argolite phoenixes like that's the hard part of the equation and uh, like once you have looted multiple phoenixes into your graveyard with this deck it's like it's pretty... gonna it's gonna get there yeah. it's gonna happen that eventually you're gonna cast three spells right because that's you, what the deck's designed to do. you also know how important that is and you know like i am just not gonna spend this gut shot because i'm gonna need it in one turn to get these Argolite phoenixes back yeah, yeah, so yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think this ends up being a pretty clear keep, yeah. but there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that's that's sort of our, you know, picked a modern hand because we are talking about modern this week. Modern. So I think we got to kind of ease back into it because we've d- been doing a lot of standard discussion. Um, so yeah. I wanted to start with this uh, metagame analysis that we've seen, Matt Nelson. And some other people, they don't have a, an official name for their group or like the thing that they're doing yet. Yeah. But uh, I, I chatted with them a little bit and they're going to be coming up with it. Some, so, you know, brand themselves a little bit so we can start talking about. So what what they've said, Matt has told me that their goal is to become like the vicious syndicate of Magic the Gathering. Like do data driven metagame breakdowns, um, starting with modern, starting with GPs right now and then hopefully expanding out from there. But so what essentially they've come up with here, and they've done this for at least one or two tournaments in the past, but the most recent now is GP Atlanta from, you know, a week and a half ago, and essentially like ends up with a reasonable plot of data from the event. They had some online surveys to try to match as many like players to deck archetypes as possible and then sort of reconstruct the, the tournament in order to build as many matchups as they could and see what the win rates were for each deck and we end up basically once you boil it down to this plot where we can see the sort of metagame percentage of the most played decks and their win rates and it's pretty interesting uh the graphs are on twitter and on reddit and we have them in the show notes but it's a lot of stuff that supports the things we've been saying about modern for a while now. It's, I mean, yeah, honestly, people who are into like datas and numbers and charts and stuff should should really definitely check out these um, these these charts and these you know spreadsheets mm-hmm. that people have looked at. I'm I'm a numbers guy. I love digging into the numbers. Um, I've definitely you know have a couple of my own excel sheets where i've punched in some like really loose you know <laughs> attempted calculations or whatever <laughs> but if you you know this stuff is just a gold mine of really really well thought out um information that that is pretty telling yeah i mean the main thing that i think we can take from this and i know that like jerry and brian talked about this data a little bit on the game podcast so i don't want to like just reiterate stuff that they've said yeah but i think you can't look at this without it being very clear that playing removal decks is bad and playing linear decks is good. Yes. <laughs> it's almost like a strict dividing line down the middle at 50% where like almost everything to the left side is a mid-ranger control deck. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, there's 
Burn and Infect and Affinity are all to the left of the 50% win percentage line, but that's also where Blue-White Control, Black-Green, Midrange, Jeskai, Mardu Pyromancer, Grixis Shadow are all living. On the right side, it's all linear decks. We've got Storm, Amulet, Valakut, Dredge, Hardened Scales, uh, Humans and Spirits, and Tron, and KCI way over at <laughs> like almost a 60% overall win rate, which yeah. is... Uh, I mean, maybe not shocking, but it is a very high win rate. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of known that KCI has definitely been a dominant force in Modern for a while. Mm-hmm. It even had a, a time period where it was popular in addition to winning a lot, and we definitely saw a lot of the, the copies of that deck in, in deck lists and stuff. But I think that since then, the, the popularity element of KCI has definitely dropped off. Mm-hmm. I think that enough players tried it and failed with it to the point where <laughs> only the players remaining playing it are the people who put in a lot of effort to, yeah. you know to really to to get there with the deck so that all of those dynamics probably work together to create these winning percentages it's probably pretty biased because the people who are playing it now have probably been playing it since you know that time period where it was very popular mm-hmm. and are very experienced with it and are going to have a high success rate with it so I don't know if that necessarily means that it's a good pickup or if it is just that people are reaping the rewards of really getting experience with a deck. It's kind of hard to tell which of those elements are, are, are creating this win percentage. You know, other than the fact that it could just be fundamentally stronger than any of the other decks. and But it's just hard to play. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, you know, that is... I think it's hard to play in that it is definitely tough to pick up. You know, our friend Lee just released a, a gigantic primer on how to play KCI. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so at this point, you know, I, I I went and hung out with him today and borrowed his KCI deck <laughs> just to sit down and goldfish it a bunch of times and, right, right. and sort of, you know, start recognizing loops and everything because I think not knowing how to play that deck is a pretty big leak if this like 60% win rate is actually a thing then I should be able to pick up this deck when I need to um which I don't know probably not going to be this weekend just because I'm not going to be practiced enough with it (laughs) yeah yeah but this is almost a free roll tournament for me because I haven't really gotten to play in many SCG events this season so I need like 10 more points to queue for the invitational which pretty much means like top eighting this thing or, or I don't get to play in the Envy. <laughs> right. So I can kind of just do whatever I want in this open, and that might mean messing up a lot with KCI. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's just the first step, right, into into getting good at something. Is is sucking at something. It's really sucking at something. Yep. So, so there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say what is the most important thing here. I know that, like, for a long time, and, and this data kind of bears it out, you know, the advice is basically like, if you're playing modern, play a linear deck that you know how to play well. And obviously that is not KCI for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that won't be for a while. But like, just this idea that like you need to get good at a linear deck and then be able to run it when it is, you know, the right choice based on the hate that people are playing. And it looks like based on these results, like playing an artifact deck was probably the right place to be at Atlanta because Hardened Scales and KCI have the highest win percentage of any of the highly played decks. Yeah. Um, Affinity is still kind of getting dumpstered. Uh, regular <laughs> Affinity is down below right. the 50% line. And I don't know 
if that's just because it's less resilient or if it just like is running into lots of static casters or or what i mean i I mean we've talked about before like like you've mentioned that it seems like affinity just has gotten to a place where it hasn't gotten new cards in a while and is underpowered compared to what other people are doing yeah is that kind of our working theory here uh yeah i think that I think that the working theory currently is that the power level of modern is moving past traditional affinity, mm-hmm. and and if affinity needs to to you know to keep up, it needs to evolve, and I think it has. I think that hard skills is just the new affinity deck. Mm-hmm. People who want to play Mox Opal and an aggressive creature deck are just going to play hardened skills because I think at this point we've figured out that it's just better. Yeah, and you know that's a product of 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 the community learning over time mm-hmm. you know we we definitely learn over time about you know card evaluations and deck evaluations and and whether or not something's something's busted or something so yeah it, it, it is a little hard to parse like storylines from this data that we're looking at one of the things that is a little bit weird to me is you know this data is saying like the good decks are linear decks but then it's also saying like a lot of the things that you might expect to come from that like the fact that Infect didn't do very well. Like, Infect yeah. is down at, like, 45% win rate, right. which is pretty low. Uh, and Infect is designed to beat on the linear decks with no interaction. Yeah. But it looks to me like a lot of the decks that, like, were pretty successful are decks that aren't necessarily the best against other linear decks, but are just smashing on these, like, 45% decks like Jund and, <laughs> and Blue-White Control and stuff. So, yeah, like man playing removal spells seems like it's signing up for a real bad day right yeah playing removal spells and then playing against you know tron and dredge and <laughs> you know all these all these hyperlinear stuff you know there there is you know we, we also need to consider the fact that some of these decks are more popular than others mm-hmm. so we we you know we shouldn't ignore the metagame share percentage element of this graph right no, no. definitely not if we're looking at the popular decks we're looking at humans Burn, Jund, Tron, Bant Spirits, and, you know, removal spells are good against Bant Spirits and humans, and kind of against Burn. Not really that great against the other ones, but... Yeah, and it's interesting, like, humans and spirits make up a pretty substantial portion of the metagame. That's like 15% total is these, like, disruptive creature decks. Yeah. um, Which, you know, Lightning Bolt is great against, but that's not enough of the metagame for the lightning bolt slash path to exile decks to actually capitalize in any way and they just got very destroyed in this tournament so (laughs) yeah so yeah i tough tough situation if you want to interact and and i think that's one of the reasons why you know we've been kind of down on modern isn't isn't this kind of the story that we always take away from modern it feels like we always get here yeah but now we have data (laughs) yeah now we have data to look at it turns out after we've crunched the numbers that uh, interacting in modern is not very viable, nope. and and everybody goes, oh, <laughs> and look, yeah. God, look at blue white control just way over to the left. Yeah, forty two point five percent overall win rate. But it's interesting though because I feel like we looked at the numbers last time as well with blue white control, and mm-hmm. blue and blue white control got on our radar because it, it was, was like doing a surprisingly well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder what changed. Hard to say. I know. That, I mean, I think part of it might be the popularity of Dredge, even though here, you know, Dredge still only like a 4% thing. So yeah. that, that can't like explain it all on its own. Mm-hmm. I know that 
you know, the blue white control deck that did the best in this tournament and has also been showing up a little bit in various uh, mocks and other online places and stuff. It looks like the main deck rest in peace versions of blue white control. I I played against that last, I think it was last night, mm-hmm. and I was actually pretty surprised. I, it was the first time I had seen it with the main deck rest in peace out of, out of that control deck. Uh, I get it, right? The yeah. rest in pieces are pretty strong just in general in modern right now. Mm-hmm. So it seems like a you know a pretty strong catch all, but I was playing Tron, so you know. So, yeah, so <laughs> just turns off your chromatic stars only. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, not so great against the deck with main deck relic of progenitus in it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. So that's that's what will be really really interesting is to see this data iterated from weekend to weekend. Because, like, like Blue White Control having a really rough weekend doesn't mean that it's a terrible deck. Yeah. Even Blue White Control having a really rough weekend and me hating playing Blue White Control doesn't make it <laughs> a terrible deck. Even! But if it's no. in this, like, like leftmost quadrant for a bunch, for several weeks in a row, yeah, then yeah, we yeah. can start to draw some, some oh, stronger conclusions absolutely. from that. Yeah, yeah. I think that the data is definitely indicating that it's not where you want to be. Yeah, for sure. it's just too tough to, you know, the the way it plays out is like as a prison deck, basically, like you, you trade some cards, and then you want your last the last spell cast for a while to be Teferi, and then just like have that give you the resources to keep the game locked out. But threats are just so varied that and, and you can only run so many counter spells in a format where humans and bant spirits are 15% of the metagame yeah. that it's just really hard to keep up with the threats that the, the format presents. So makes sense to me. It, it just, that's less a reason why it's necessarily bad and more a reason why it's just like really frustrating to play. And I just can't, can't run celestial colonnade decks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. For sure. Yeah. You know, what are, what other telling things are coming from this? Uh, I think that, I think we covered the main points. Yeah. I mean, that's Band spirits and, you know, hardened scales and humans, I think, are definitely three of the bigger, mm-hmm. you know, popularity-wise, um, three of the bigger, like, good choices, in quotes. We're talking about decks that show up in, in this top right quadrant that are, in theory, you know, strong to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, also, you know, if you just want to look at the, like, overall popularity of decks, it looks like, you know, the top five decks are pretty clearly Burn, Jund, Tron, Humans, and Bant Spirits. Yeah. So, like, you don't want to show up and not have a plan against any of those decks. You could still just not play against one or, or more of those decks, but it is pretty silly to show up to a tournament and get paired up against Tron and right. be like, I don't know how to sideboard for this matchup. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's irresponsible, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of Tron, yeah. <laughs> should we talk about Tron? Yeah, yeah, so Tron you've been lately. playing it, so what are you thinking? I, well, so, lately I've been on the lookout for, uh, I mentioned this a little earlier on the podcast, but how, you know, how our perception of, like, how strong things are change over time, mm-hmm. because we, you know, we get more data, and we, we see more, and we learn more, and we figure out eventually that, um, you know, a particular type of strategy is just fundamentally more powerful. Sure. Like cantrips is a beautiful example of like us learning in magic's history where people didn't put ponder in fairies back when they could. Right. You know? Where right. where the difference between having turn to bitter blossom and not having turn to bitter blossom right. was like yeah. like an almost non-functional deck versus the most broken <laughs> deck in the format. Exactly, right? So so it just kind of proves 
that we as like a collective can be wrong Mm -hmm. right and that's kind of part of why i always like to tinker around with a bunch of new fun stuff in modern right um but i'm also kind of i don't see how this is relating to tron quite yet no i understand (laughs) but but we're gonna get there so so i'm down for like new fun stuff i i've tried out the new phoenix card Mm -hmm. a lot and i'm sure you're gonna have a lot more to talk about that in a little bit i've I've got Um, words about arclay phoenix But I'm always just kind of curious if they're, if, you know, if the new cards printed are, like, going to be the next big thing, or if if we just, like, are fundamentally wrong about how powerful this, you know, strategy is mm-hmm. or something. And I, I think I've shifted my focus to Tron lands, because Tron lands are a very unique element of magic that is commonly complained about, mm-hmm. and probably there's a good reason for that, right? People are complaining about it probably because they're losing to it a lot or whatever, or it creates feel bads. There's definitely a lot of other psychological reasons or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but I my theory right now is that it could be true that um, a couple of years from now we look back at Tron lands in modern and we go, yikes, what a mistake, <laughs> <laughs> right? Kind of the same way that we look back at Deathrite Shaman in modern. Yep. You know, and I don't know if it's true that that specifically Tron lands are something that we are accepting as normal right now, but are just kind of fundamentally more powerful than what the format's doing Mm -hmm. and definitely based on like statistics of like you know tron never has dominating performances very often it's one of the pillars of modern to be sure but 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 we never we we're never looking at the format and being like man what beats tron right yeah we know what beats tron yeah it's it's definitely and, and i think that magic fundamentally is just nuanced enough where even the best thing is still going to be able to be targeted, right? Mm-hmm. So just because, you know, it's it's hard to extrapolate exactly what you want from all of the information, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see if, you know, just like being able to very consistently assemble Tron by turn three or four is just better than what Modern's doing. Mm-hmm. Particularly now that Magic, the card pool in Magic is so deep that there's just like a big colorless... Yeah card that beats you know pick your deck in in, in modern right there's there's a big colorless card that beats that deck right so tron gets to utilize that fact where worm coil engine it just beats tron sorry or it just beats <laughs> like jund or whatever yeah or you know or burn or something yeah. you know if you can get if you can play it on time in quotes mm-hmm. on turn three which is on time in modern um one two six <laughs> yeah one two seven <clears throat> sorry <laughs> yeah so right so if you i feel like if you can just like find the right cards that really fit well and i think that we've done that mm-hmm. right with tron yeah it's been the pretty build, iterated on so 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 something like that looks very different than the rest of modern mm-hmm. and when something looks very different than the rest of modern i'm interested to see if there's something there right anyways that's the story of why i'm interested in tron <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, Tron is definitely fundamentally pretty busted. Like, you don't yeah. get to cast Ugin mm-hmm. in anything else. Yeah, yeah. What got me on this train was realizing that I'm pretty sure that, that White Weenie aggro in Standard right now is just fundamentally better than everything else that, <laughs> that, that Standard's trying to do right now. Just, like, cast a bunch of one-mana spells, and then, you know, and then what does your opponent do? <laughs> and um, you're just, like, looking for that analog right. and they're, modern? sure right but just kind of you know using that like realization of like wow i i'm pretty sure that you know the flaw in standard right now is that we haven't quite figured out what balances out these aggressive decks because the the concept of playing a bunch of things faster than your opponent that are also pretty big Mm -hmm. seems 
Sure. Pretty broken, right? And of course, there are cards that there are cards that exist that punish that behavior, like you know, ritual, like um, the sweepers and stuff. Yeah. So it's not you know it's not one dimensional by any means, mm-hmm. but right. But you are playing a strategy that requires specific answers to it and not just like like your opponent can't just play magic cards and hope that they're good enough because your linear strategy your 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 one and one and one add up to a lot more Mm -hmm. than three at that point yeah yeah for sure so anyway so so yeah i was looking at tron and i was like tron's always been just the bane of modern where people are always complaining about it and you know and probably because it's it's pretty good, you know, and and I've I've never really like put a lot of hours into Tron. I've definitely played a couple of leagues or whatever, but I've never played it in you know a big tournament or anything. Mm-hmm. But but this time I was like, okay, uh, this is this is my project for this week or or whatever for Baltimore, I guess I should say. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to really look into Tron. So I've been playing a lot of it and I've been learning what the hands look like. You need to mulligan all the things that we were talking about earlier, and it seems really well positioned right now. I think in modern. And in addition to that, it does feel like it's doing something fundamentally more powerful than mm-hmm. the rest of modern, because because the games where you get to Tron don't feel close. Right. If you assemble Tron on time, which is turn three or four, mm-hmm. maybe even five, you know, depending on the matchup, yeah. or maybe never, depending on the matchup. Right. <laughs> Some matchups I've noticed, um, like if I ever play against like blue white control, you just never have. Tron. I just keep like any four land hands. Yeah. You know, I'm just like four land hands, perfect. Right. My you plan just is just make to a land make drop. my six land drop. Yep. You know. <laughs> yep. So right. So anyways, the games that you assemble Tron on time, turn three or four against the average modern deck, it feels like you just win, and it's not close. Mm-hmm. It's never close. Right. The the hardest matchups are the ones where that's the axis that they can fight you over. Right. Yeah. You know. So if they can fight over that axis, great. Your opponent's gonna have some advantage yep. or some some ability to play. Mm-hmm. Right. But it feels like the games or the matchups where they don't have the ability to fight over that axis aren't close. And then you even have tools against the strategies that are like faster than that you can you can you can you know build your deck with some number of like um you know dismembers or interactive pieces or whatever that can interact in those first three turns if you believe that it is necessary Mm -hmm. and it's lucky enough that it feels like all the decks that are faster than making your first three land drops are decks that are weaker to that kind of like one shot interaction yeah so tron tron still gets to have access to that kind of stuff right Mm -hmm. Right, um, right. Like Storm puts a creature on the board. Like Hollow One puts a creature on the board. Humans does right. that too. Burn, mm-hmm. burn is just hard. Yeah, but burns. Yeah, burns tough because it's it's one of the faster decks that you can't interact with in an easy way. Yeah. So so that kind of makes sense from like this perspective or whatever. But yeah, the fact that all of those games are so easy once you assemble Tron, and also I've noticed that it this deck assembles Tron ridiculously consistently. Mm-hmm. Like those two factors playing together make me feel like there's it's you know this deck is great, <laughs> um, and I know that it gets a lot of bad raps, right? Because people don't like playing it because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like magic. You know, people have whatever reasons they have. No for it, deck but... in modern is playing magic. <laughs> yeah, let's we, be real. Right. Every deck in modern that plays magic is at that like forty five percent slot <laughs> on that chart. Yeah, because playing magic is is you it's know, for suckers in modern. It's for it's for suckers in modern. <laughs> yeah, so. So yeah, so I I've been I've been really focused on learning all of the plans for for Tron and everything like in each matchup, and I'm probably gonna tinker around with my own list, kind of similar to what I was talking about with what I did with the Storm for that one tournament. Mm-hmm. So depending on how much time I have and how productive I end up feeling, yep. week, I might I might end up with another little Google document up on uh, cool 
um, our Discord for for Tron. So you're feeling pretty likely to play Tron this weekend, then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's totally fine. I, you know, we were talking about um, after regionals, like you know, we had some people sitting here like jamming the the Tron deck that I played into the Dredge deck that you played, and you know, we were just chatting about how like I. I didn't realize until I played it a couple of times just how like atrocious Dredge's matchup against Tron is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just bizarre because it's like yes, Tron has the main deck relics and that is obviously good, but like like Dredge beats hate cards. It's just that the things Tron does, like Dredge is cheating on mana and cards and everything like that, but they just don't matter if there's an Ugin or something on the other side. Yeah, yeah. I after playing a little bit with Tron and playing with those main deck relics. Mm-hmm. I kind of believe now at this point that if you're playing either Tron or Valakut, yeah, you should just have main deck relics. Oh yeah, and that's that statement I think continues to be true even when a deck like Dredge isn't popular mm-hmm. because a relic of Progenitus is fulfills both game plans of digging deeper into the deck. Right, yeah. Tron is looking for cheap cantrips that are colorless. Uh, Escape Shift is looking to cantrip into win cons and and lands and stuff. Um, and the fact that you can have that effect of a cheap cantrip on stapled onto a card that could potentially be heavily interactive with your opponent mm-hmm. is just that's just good deck building. Yeah, and, and like it got to a point where, you know, I I was running like four relics in my main deck because Dredge had just you know exploded because keeping yeah. chill. Right. And and while my instinct was okay, this isn't a graveyard matchup let's board out these relics i always felt kind of guilty every time i did it like yes it was kind of an easy cut and it was easy in the faster matchups where i didn't want to be spending mana on that because it, it just you know maybe they'd have a thalia and you really don't want relic against thalia in play or something like that but against matchups that weren't that fast i felt kind of guilty cutting the relics because i was like now i'm making my like <laughs> my deck four cards bigger in, right when i just want tron lands mm-hmm. so yeah i i i definitely think that just regardless of what the meta looks like, running relics is just very, very good. Yeah, for sure. So I've been, I've been, I've been very happy with those cards. Even you know, it definitely kind of makes the the dredge matchup even more of a joke. Yeah. But but I think that you're totally right in that the dredge matchup was already very favored. I've definitely had matches uh, played against dredge where I never drew any of my you know surgical extractions or <laughs> relics or anything and i just still was able to stall with you know an o-stone or two and then play a worm coil engine and right. that was just better than what they were doing right it takes a <laughs> like what's the number of three threes that beats a worm coil engine like it's a <laughs> lot of three threes right. yeah a surprisingly few amount of one one goblins beat a worm coil engine i discovered while playing storm right. a lot but um <laughs> it's only 15 that's that doesn't feel like a lot yeah um yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah. it takes a lot more than 15 to beat, like, the Wormcoil engine into Walking Ballista, so... Yes. Um, th- that's funny that you're getting on Tron, and I'm trying to, like, avoid playing it now. <laughs> at Just, all costs. I, yeah. not, not even at all costs. Like, I didn't even have, like, a single bad tournament with it. I'm sure. just, you know, a, yeah. little, a little over it at this point. Well, right, and I'm sure that that's likely an element that a lot of people rent across with Tron, mm-hmm. is that it's boring. Yeah. Um, But down for down for a tournament with it we'll see you know i haven't reached my right. my i'm bored of it phase yet and i it's very likely that you know i get bored of everything i was, <laughs> I was off humans pretty immediately so uh i'm sure i'll be off tron in a little bit but i want to have my little time with you know practicing with tron for a tournament so yeah should be sure sure and i mean like regardless like you still have 
Emrakul, the promised ending, you're 75 somewhere, and those turns are always fun, no speaking matter of, what. Yeah, speaking of cards that, like, big colorless cards that just beat decks, yep. is Emrakul, the promised end is a perfect example. And it beats all your impossible matchups, too, if you yes. resolve it. Yeah, yeah, Storm, Valakut, KCI. KCI, none of these decks can beat just resolving this card, so yep. if you can just do that on turn four, mm-hmm. game got them like easy <laughs> right yeah. and it's pretty hard to do that one specifically on turn four right you, but it's really more of a turn five ish something but because yeah, yeah, yeah. like you need 10 mana and three card types in your graveyard and it's pretty easy to get sorcery and artifact weirdly enough but the <laughs> other ones are much harder right right yeah so yeah tron i'm into it right now yeah um legit you know i think that's totally fine it, it's at least above that 50 percent line like it's got a plan you gotta play a deck with a a, a plan that you know yep. what you're trying to do with your opening hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have been running. I, I pretty much copied a seven O list from the mocks of an Arglight Phoenix Hollow One deck, um, and I ran it through a couple of leagues and sort of live discorded uh, what was going on in my leagues. I can't tell if the deck is good or not, and I've played 10 matches with it. Um, uh, oh. Like, I legitimately can't tell if the deck is powerful. Okay. Um, I, like, I 4 won both leagues. Mm-hmm. My second league, my first three matches were mirror matches against Mono Red Hollow One Phoenix decks. Okay. Because uh, apparently it's the only thing people are playing online at this, like, over the past, like, two days, basically. Interesting. Okay. I won all the mirror matches because yeah. I brought in uh, the list that I copied had four ancient grudges in the sideboard, which okay. is nice. I'm sure, yeah. Um, and and so I brought in most of those against my hollow one opponents. And since yeah. everybody's plan in that mirror is keeping the hollow ones, bring in Tormod's crypts, and sometimes bring in Shrine of Burning Rage. Uh, oh my goodness! Ancient grudge is real, real good. <laughs> Don't run Shrine of Burning Rage okay. if you want to play this deck. Yeah. The card is atrocious. <laughs> If I knew it was going to stay in play, yeah, and I was going to get counters on it, yeah, it, like like you need a sideboard card that doesn't use the graveyard and gives you a plan. Like that's sure. the idea behind it. Okay, but the problem is that your main threat is also an artifact. Yeah, so they're, they're just going to bring in all their shatters. Yeah, you're just going to get it. Nature's claimed or assassins trophied, and or... it's modern. Your opponent's going to have shatters. <laughs> yeah, they have to. Right. They always do. Yeah. And and like if it wasn't a hollow one deck, then maybe. Mm-hmm. But it's also still a pretty slow and awkward card. It requires a two mana investment early in the game. Then you need to get counters on it. Then you need to pay three mana to activate it. Like, even if it were, like, over in the command zone or something like that, and completely untouchable, it's yeah. still a questionable card. Sure. Now you do all this work, and then they're just like, all right, first half of the Ancient Grudge on that thing, second half, kill that hollow one that you just put in. Like, good lord. Yeah, that's that's pretty tough, for sure. So, it is, the answer to how do I beat Graveyard Hate is not Shrine of Burning Rage. <laughs> uh, I think in the Mono Red deck, I was chatting with Lee about this, and it's probably just Hazaret is what I'm going to be running. Um when i you know I, I might run the deck through another league i might run it in baltimore this weekend since it's unlikely that i will feel particularly competent with kci in a couple of days but i, I think hazard is about the best you can do and it sidesteps a lot of stuff i mean just like if they have multiple shatters in their hand when you cast a hazard that feels really good <laughs> um, yeah it, it Hazaret, takes... yeah hazard feels like a beautiful plan yeah. to beat uh to be just like graveyard hate stuff yeah and, and, and it really does it, it's great in like, if I had casted at any point in any of those mirrors that I played, 
the game, game would have been immediately over. Game over. Um, it's very good against like Jund because do they really want to keep in all their Lilianas yeah, against yeah, this yeah. Arclight Phoenix deck? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 pretty high on the idea of Hazaret. We'll see. Four mana is a lot, but I, I think the payoff is probably. But it's a there. plan, right? And it's sideboarded games, so they go longer. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, it just sure. kind of can take over games where they kind of have your number in all the other ways, and it, it sidesteps. It even sidesteps Ensnaring Bridge if you did some damage early on, so it, it's a plan. But but back to, like, I don't know if this deck is actually powerful or not. The games where I did things, you know, I played a match against Tron where I had turn two put into play a Hollow One and a Phoenix and attack with the Phoenix. And they made turn three Tron on the play, but I was just dealing damage too quickly. Yeah. They also did some really wonky stuff, like they still had Crucible of Worlds in against me. <laughs> game three interesting um which i think was because in game one i burning inquiried them and then their turn one play was forest um because they discarded mine and power plant <laughs> so i think they might have yeah. been just a little a little a little bit of an example of oversideboarding boarding there yeah but... yeah yeah um but but so a lot of games just like played out in very weird ways where like my opening hand kind of had a plan and like put a phoenix into play and it got killed and then it's the deck is not that good at rebuilding back up to a triple spell because I'm it's not playing cantrips you know burning inquiry doesn't count you, right, you yeah. go down a card right 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 but eventually you kind of get there and you just sort of like accrue this weird advantage over time in a way that regular hollow one decks that need to get a big creature to the combat phase can't do it yeah 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 and it i think it's slower than hollow one slightly but right. it, you can still present pretty gross starts yeah um and it just has a weird resilience i think like arclight phoenix is just an exceptionally powerful card if they're not messing with it like three power in the air with haste is a lot of damage like it trades with mantis riders um humans is still tough for this deck their, their guys are just bigger than yours um <laughs> yes humans humans is traditionally crushed on all hollow one decks. Yeah. so i'm not surprised to hear that it's it's a it's a pretty spooky matchup yeah. but you can do more things with your phoenixes because they they trade up pretty well and then you can get them back you can use them to block and stuff so there's like a lot more play there uh so it's just a pretty interesting deck there's just a lot of routes to go with these Phoenix decks. I don't, I, I, I gotta say I'm, I'm off of the burn versions, uh, like the monastery, swift spear, flame jab, uh, like four fiery temper. I, I, I can't, I, I don't think that's as powerful as like what this deck is doing. Like the ability to present that early hollow one is a, a huge game and, and really important to keeping your opponent on the back foot. I don't know yet. I, I haven't. I, I've seen the decks play out on stream and stuff. I don't know yet if I would prefer a blue red version. I, I think Thing in the Ice is a great card. Mm-hmm. I know that one deck, one list got put out in the deck dump today that has like a couple of Pyromancer Ascensions main deck, and that's that's, that's pretty interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean that could definitely give the deck a like a whole different element, even right. Where the deck is this, you know, combo spells deck for the mm-hmm. most part with, you know, mostly trying to just combo deal a bunch of damage, but potentially also phoenixes are an element of that. Yeah. I could see it. Yeah. Um, and, and like, if they're trying to deal with your early game threats of, like, Thing in the Ice and, like, 
hopefully fast phoenixes and then you're just like here's a pyromancer ascension i'm gonna win eventually right yeah if you don't kill all me. of my spells will be doubled yeah it's pretty good yeah <laughs> it's really good yeah so so that's that's some interesting stuff i know the like ross miriam technology of crackling drake as the way to beat graveyard hate is pretty interesting i have heard about that and it does seem pretty strong because uh let me tell you having a relic of virginitas against a crackling drake does not doesn't do a lot yeah <laughs> it does not feel good no but i don't think that i can get behind four main deck crackling drakes in a modern deck yeah like a lot of these lists just have four main deck and that's just just so expensive yeah and so bad if you're getting killed by most things right uh like play crackling drake get it reflector maged (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah (laughs) that's really bad right so it's probably for some specific matchup so maybe a sideboard card yeah, I mean, like, that is that is the goal. That, that's the hardest thing of the mono-red deck is finding a way to sidestep the graveyard hate. Mm-hmm. Hazard's kind of the best option that we've got, but I would... It's the best, it's the best option that I've heard so far, yeah. it feels like. Um, I, and I think the Crackling Drake out of the blue-red decks is at least as powerful as Hazard and, and okay. maybe better. Sure. Just because it, I don't know, it just hits for a huge amount in, like, one swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, draws a card, blah blah blah. I can, <laughs> yeah. I, I can read the text it, of the it card. It for damage and draws a card. And draws a I card. See pri- I see where your priorities lie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the blue deck is a little more complicated. You can use the card. The red deck. The the one of the problems with the red deck is you're like forced into running at least two fiery tempers, which I did very much experience. The like, boy, this card is just not very good side of things. Good old fiery temper. But, it'll uh, it'll get stuck in your hand. We promise. But I... Oh, yes. That's our fiery temper promise to you. Yeah. But I did also experience the... My opponent's at two. I have nothing. I'm really glad I have two more three damage burn spells in my deck to give me draws to it. Yeah. Like, you just need more than the lightning bolts. And fiery yeah. temper is yeah. the best. It, that, that I, yeah. I, I believe that earlier on I was kind of preaching, just get that card out of your deck. Mm-hmm. But now I, I believe that... It serves a, a real purpose mm-hmm. that can't really be ignored. It's another cheap spell, but it, it it offers an effect that's important. Right. Like, if I could run Chain Lightnings instead, I would do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, the madness part is not the important part. It's just the only other, like, playable three damage burn spell in the deck. So, that's... Yeah. It gets in there. Um, the list that I was running had two. It felt about right. I, I, I didn't want more than that. <laughs> Every time that I... Like, Burning Inquiry Planning is hard enough like whether you want to play a land first like you really don't want to play a land first because you want the maximum number of not non-hollow one cards in your hand when you resolve the burning inquiry (laughs) right 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 but you also kind of want to play the land first so that you can madness out a fiery temper if you discard and it just like adds like layers and also you know that you want to hit your land drops right right that too uh like so it, it just adds these layers but there were like there were times where i was like like, I would cast a Faithless Looting when I had four lands in play, and then I'd draw into Burning Inquiry, and then i like, have to, like, hem and haw over playing my fifth land before playing the Burning Inquiry because, like, there was a three-toughness creature in play, and I really wanted to kill it if I, like, discarded the discarded a Fiery Temper. So it just, like, really complicates things, but it, it's kind of a necessary evil, so I would, I would keep playing a couple. So, yeah, that's... You know, that's my various impressions of Mono Red, Hollow One, Arclight Phoenix. I'm going to play with the deck more. I like it. 
uh seems pretty insightful i mean um yeah it's definitely one of the decks that i think people are gonna continue to tinker around with mm-hmm. and see if they can break um i mean the secret's out on magic online like people are into people it. are playing it yeah i think if i play it this weekend in real life though i think a lot of people aren't gonna quite know what's happening so right yeah so you know if we could get a hold of the 75 it could be an yeah. interesting option well, I, I mean, I own Hollow One, so okay. I mostly have it. It's, oh, finding, it's finding Phoenixes that's impossible. <laughs> Channel Fireball sold out. Star City Games is sold out. None of the local stores here have them. Wow. Uh, luckily, we know some people who picked them up when they were like $2. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, yeah, geez. Like, I I own one that I opened in a, in a prize pack. I've got one from Lee that was his extra one. And <laughs> I literally don't know how to finish my playset of Arclight Phoenixes. Wow. Yikes. Um, but we'll we'll get there. Right, I'm sure. Well, cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, other thoughts on Modern that we want to cover? Um, I mean, just some stuff that I've spotted running through deck lists. Mm-hmm. So it looks like Night of Autumn has completely supplanted Rexage in humans. Yeah. Just that... That card turned out to be pretty good. Yeah. Sideboard. Yep, just, you know, the, the mana cost is not hard enough to make up for the the huge functionality improvement um especially amazing against burn where you can like if somehow you get into a spot where like eidolon is good against you you can kill it uh and and also gain life yeah if if that's not the spot that you're in it's just so flexible and so good and saves on sideboard slots spine of isha in kci as a new it's the new wind thing get ready for your opponent to have some seven mana artifacts in their deck yep um i think that was a, a canister innovation piotr glogowski yeah i mean m- most of these kci innovations can be, get traced back to him <laughs> yeah but uh i mean definitely powerful i i can't speak to exactly what the metagame needs to look like for you to want this versus not want it maybe after i've gotten some kci testing in i can i can speak a little more intelligently to that <laughs> but stuff like the damping sphere kind of hate and stuff which is like not very good against kci anyways but it just like is real bad if when things like spine of isha are what they're headed towards yeah uh, yeah yeah they can just you know get enough mana to just just vindicate your thing yep yeah yep. and then it you know is a combo piece too like it can even like <laughs> it's get the back on a, a kci <laughs> right like, yeah so uh, it has its own loops yeah, yeah, it does. Please, uh, uh, give me some more loops. You just, you know, you just need infinite mana before you do it. That's all. Yeah, but that's that's fine. That's completely doable with this deck. Sure. Um, we already mentioned the main deck rips showing up in blue white control. Just, you know, I think if you play that deck, you need an angle, and maybe that's an angle. Yeah, but you can't just be casting counter spells and and Teferi and hope that that's good enough. Yeah, get those out of modern. <laughs> Online, green black is like super popular and i don't get it yeah i also kind of don't get it and and my my bias might be a little more that i just kind of always play decks that beat up on exactly (laughs) (laughs) but i uh i I just feel so happy every time i'm sitting across from a a black green player yeah you can't even play a blood braid elf to like put pressure on me (laughs) right yeah i it's crazy but like look at this look at this modern challenge uh, we've got two Golgari midrange at seven and zero, two Golgari midrange at six and one. Uh, we got another one at five and two. Just like, and they they just keep showing up in these online tournament results, and it's 
it's it's wild i don't i don't get it well people people just like you know that's that is a lot of people's idea of playing magic Mm -hmm. and um and i think that that's just what they're gonna do and i'm sure that they get a lot of success out of that being their entire framework of you know what playing magic looks like because they can just view it through that lens and be like this is what's good this is what works Mm -hmm. and and definitely have a good you know winning percentage yep and i'm sure that Um, they're like adjusting their sideboards very well in in ways that like i wouldn't be able to do because they know the deck so well yeah modern is becoming a little more stagnant and and linear or not linear uh reactive strategies like green black um benefit from that so yeah, I think that, not en- not enough to do well at a GP, but well, yeah. <laughs> what is a little bit crazy to me, and this I think more betrays my like unfamiliarity with putting together a seventy five of this type of deck, mm-hmm. but about half of these lists that I see are, despite running pretty heavy on Assassin's Trophy and Field of Ruin and obviously discard effects, yeah, um, they're not sideboarding Surgical Extraction. Um, a lot of them are doing like this, the two Nile spell bombs main deck, and then in the sideboard, like maybe a couple of ley lines, maybe graph diggers cage or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, about half of them have surgical. Yeah. But it is, it, it's something that I don't, I, I can't quite understand if you've already got, you know, I, I saw a list with four abrupt decays main deck. And then also, you know, the full suite of inquisitions and thought seizes yeah. and no surgical extraction sideboard, which just... Like, Surgical is the first sideboard card that I would reach to in almost any metagame, and especially a metagame where graveyard decks are doing pretty well, like they are right now. Um, I, I see what you're saying, but it might be true that they have just, like, other plans mm-hmm. that cover the areas where Surgical Extraction would reach. I, I'm actually considering taking the Surgicals out of my Tron sideboard. Yeah. Because I don't think that I need them against Dredge. Sure. And also, I... Have yet to really figure out all of the like other matchups where I want to have a surgical extraction. So far, I've really only come across like the mirror and like Valakut as areas where I can tutor for my ghost quarter and then mm-hmm. surgical extract the land that you know yeah. they wanted to get. So I think that those are definitely places where I would want surgical extraction. So, but if there if there are enough of those, you know scenarios where i'm going to want that effect Mm -hmm. outside of playing against dredge i'm down to have them in but i you know i'm still working on figuring all that out yeah i mean i think it's a very different card in tron than in you know black green mid-range once you add thoughtsies into the mix then then you you're turning your surgicals into a very different sort of weapon yeah yeah yeah. i mean a lot of these still do have the surgicals but it's just you know here's this six in one list from the modern challenge that is running you know, four Inquisition, two Thoughtseize, three Assassin's Trophy, and just has no Nile spell bombs in the sideboard. Like, or I mean, no no surgicals in the sideboard. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, they they've got their graveyard hate covered, and then I guess maybe just don't think, you know, maybe just between Fulminator Mages and abrupt and and Assassin's Trophies, and uh, you know, they're running heavy amounts of Field of Ruins, so they're just like, I don't actually need to surgical against these big mana decks. I can just keep stone raining them, and that's totally fine. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. you know, maybe it's just not always necessary. Yeah. But interesting. Um, it is in enough of these lists, though, that if you're playing against it, still, like, sequence around it. Like, if you're playing Valakut, don't put, play your Valakut into harm's way, right. that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Not much you can do with Tron, but... <laughs> Yeah, don't play a Tron... Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> Shoot. Yeah. So. Yep. 
so yeah, that's modern stuff. That's what we've been thinking about. Yeah. Um, no ban and restriction changes. Uh, yeah. Can't seem surprised. I mean, what would they... Yeah, there's nothing really... People weren't talking about it up leading up until the the BNR announcement date, and, and whenever that's true, it nothing really is just going to happen yeah. most of the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the like, commonly cited possible bans would be, like, Ancient Stirrings, Mox Opal, maybe Faithless Looting, but <laughs> actually kind of a disaster, I think, banning Faithless Looting. That yeah. would, like, kill half of Modern. I feel like somebody mentioned recently that... I think somebody posted this maybe on Twitter or something, so uh, I'm not sure where I heard it exactly, but somebody mentioned that they are viewing Modern as kind of turning into Legacy Light already, mm-hmm. but instead of Ponder and Brainstorm, we have Faithless Looting and Ancient Stirrings mm-hmm. as our, like, you know, yeah. as our cantrips. It, it, it seems likely that they're just going to be like, all right, you know, Modern is just now Legacy Light, but instead of finding any card you can only find these like you know you, you have these other yeah deck building restrictions but right. they, it does require some deck building restriction yeah 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 and i mean i don't hate that like the one thing that like fundamentally i think is kind of a problem is the fact that every mox opal deck can play ancient stirrings in it if it's that type of deck yeah so uh you know kind of two of the most broken cards in modern go a little bit hand in hand like you know at least tron only gets one of them but uh, KCI and Harden Scales were yeah. two of the best performing decks on that chart that we had about GP Atlanta, and they both get both of those cards. So right. that's, and especially yeah. in KCI, it's just in, in, totally incredible. You know, and if I'm looking for things that are just fundamentally better than what Modern's doing, I think that, you know, Mox Opal and yep. Ancient Strings are definitely a good, good thing to look at for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mox Opal just feels, as an individual card, like just the effect that it provides just kind of head and shoulders above what any other single card in modern can do that makes sense i told you how at regionals playing tron i lost the match two lantern because game two they played turn three tezzeret and (laughs) game three they played turn two tezzeret you know it wasn't tezzeret (laughs) that beat me it was mox opal that beat me at those games yeah yeah for sure but yeah i i just don't think that any bands really make sense in modern modern is what it is and right now like it would take an enormous number of bands to turn modern into a format where we're just like casting lots of interactive cards at each other and, and trading trading resources constantly and not trying to execute a game plan yeah, that's yeah, super yeah. linear. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine how many bands it would take. I know that the solution that has been floated by a certain subset of the community is unbanning Splinter Twin to... Uh, yeah, the, the really common like fix that i that i heard floating around maybe a year or two ago but haven't heard as recently was uh what if we just banned all of eighth and ninth edition right get rid of tron lands get rid of blood moon yeah get rid of choke is modern legal like what a modern card (laughs) right 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 um yeah and people play choke you know it's it's played in modern so so yeah so getting rid of all those like weird hate cards that are almost unanimously despised by magic players yeah boil um, is boil is legal boil would too. Be another card right yeah <laughs> so all of those like weird cards that just like aren't very great and then somebody went through those sets and we're like trying to find all of the cards that we might lose that could potentially be bad for modern and they're just like weren't any yeah so. it's just a horrifying <laughs> nonsense like right. ensnaring bridge and stuff so yeah yeah, yeah. so um so yeah that, that could be an option but 
not an option that I believe likely to be implemented. Yeah. Ever. No, that's that's a, a huge step and, and yeah. it definitely seems very unlikely. Yeah. The I think we've we've talked about the Splinter Twin proposition before on the podcast. I mean, my feeling about it is basically like there's a couple of groups of people, which is people who played when Splinter Twin was legal. Yeah. And did not play Splinter Twin. Right. People who played when Splinter Twin was legal and only ran Splinter Twin. Right. And then people who are sort of like trying to parse the information from each side of this <laughs> this discussion. Yeah. And and it's it's like a pretty partisan thing. Like you can easily tell from people's tweets whether or not they, they like played main Splinter Twin, Splinter Twin. Yeah. <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, for sure. You know, my my personal feeling is just the the play patterns that it creates are like pretty lousy like yeah i mean i think that it's just another example of what it was doing was fundamentally more powerful than anything mm -hmm. else that was happening in modern right you didn't have to commit anything right and all you had to commit was keeping lands untapped on your opponent's turn out of your cryptic command deck and your opponent had to leave mana up all right chris here's the deal my deck is all instant speed, uh -huh. and it's a control deck. Yes. So you're not going to be able to do what you want, and if the game goes long, it's going to be really good for me, because I'm a control deck. Yep. But you uh, can't ever tap out on your turn, otherwise yep. you die. You are not allowed to cast Bloodbraid Elf. Does that, does that sound fun to you? <laughs> does that fundamentally Ugh. sound like something that's that's good for magic? Yeah, and, and the argument is that, like, given the matchup profile of mm -hmm. Splinter Twin, like, yep. it tended, you know, it... If we have the ideal, like, results of that, it, like, keeps linear decks in check because, like, it's a counterspell deck that can also just end the game. And it's also pretty bad against mid-range decks. You know, Jund is strong against it. Like, Thoughtseize is great against a deck that, like, is kind of playing a lot of dead cards. But even if that's all true, playing against Splinter Twin is just miserable in, like, a a psychologically damaging way almost. <laughs> <laughs> yikes but yeah no i mean I, I get it right because sometimes it's just correct to play your spells yep. and and honestly you know based on my you know framed perspective from before where you're playing against a control deck that always plays at instant speed that you just can't ever tap out against mm -hmm. sometimes you just have to make the conscious decision that if your opponent has the combo you lose yeah and you have to play in such a way that that is true and and that sucks because you have to kind of detach from reality in order to find what is actually percentage-wise your most likely avenue to victory. Mm -hmm. But it sucks because you play that way and then your opponent is like, all right, well, tap tap your land and kill you. Yep. And you're like, all right, well, guess the game's over. Right. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. So I'm I'm not a proponent of the Splinter Twin unban. You know, I, I guess I am... I probably lean a little too hard sometimes towards like maintaining the status quo. Like I wasn't super into like the Jace unban. Uh, yeah. that worked out just fine. Right. But yeah. This one seems even more dangerous to me. So glad that wasn't on the unban list. Last we've got the artist boycott of uh Grand Prix events. So or Magic Fest events. Or Magic Fest events, which which actually is an important part of this discussion. Yeah. So so for those who haven't been, you know, who, who might have not have seen this, there was a letter from several artists uh, who have done, you know, a number of appearances at Grand Prix before yeah. and have illustrated a number of cards. I think I, I saw, you know, somebody broke it down. Like, the artists that signed this letter have done the art for a total of, like, 1,200-something Magic cards, which is... 
approximately the number of magic cards in standard. Okay. So, you know, that it's not that they've illustrated all of the standard cards, it's just over time they've illustrated an equivalent number of magic cards, which is a very large number of magic cards. Yeah, of, of course. So this is this is not just like a couple of artists, this is a, a, a big group of artists who are saying that, hey, we really can't afford to go to magic fests. We, we can't afford to go to Grand Prix anymore, and things have gotten worse over the years uh there used to be a lot more amenities provided to them they were more along the lines of featured guests rather than vendors um meaning that they would get space provided to them they'd get uh like storage place for their goods they'd get their airfare covered um and one of the things that's that i found pretty interesting is you know i've talked to people who were at gps and were like yeah, I kind of want to get cards signed, but I don't understand why they have to charge money for each signature, um, which does feel kind of bad. But then I, I've told them like, hey, I read this Noah Bradley post about how, you know, he doesn't get any of his airfare covered. And a lot of times he has to pay for his own hotel. And he's also taking three days off of painting right. uh, his job. Right. Uh, and, and then they're like, oh, geez, I didn't know. Most people don't know any of that because mm-hmm. it's not you assume that they're getting a lot of their costs covered and they're being provided. Be also, you know, you aren't privy to, and most of the time aren't really thinking about what's happening right. behind the scenes. Right, right. And so this is a nice look at, so we can kind of understand how kind of rough it is for these artists. And there's sort of a a, a disconnect here where they're being presented by the tournament organizers as like, hey, you know, come to this Grand Prix check out these artists we've got at it as an attraction to come to the Grand Prix. But those artists might even be paying to be there. And then they're like getting their, their names used as, as advertising when really, so, so like as an attendee of the tournament, my assumption based on the advertising is, Oh, they're a guest of the the tournament. They're like contractors working for the TO that are there, like as, you know one more thing attracting you know they're providing side events for us they're they're providing places to play they're providing uh gunslinging with with pro players and they're providing some artists but it ends up being the artists that are covering a lot of their own costs here and it ends up being something that they just can't really do so you know i think this is a thing to pay attention to and um because it's 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 nice having the artists at the event yeah and even if you're not particularly somebody who utilizes that a lot i i don't you know it's not really an an element of the magic hobby that i invest in a lot yeah you know i i'm not a collector and i don't really you know you know it's not just not something that interests me is getting my card signed but um uh, yesterday i was getting a haircut (laughs) and i was talking to the person cutting my hair about uh some of the stuff that i did and of course magic came up and i told her that i you know, travel to tournaments and stuff, and and she told me that she you know likes cosplay and stuff. So I was like, yeah, there are cosplay people mm-hmm. there at the events. Um, also, and you know, artists was something else that I mentioned that just like these are other elements of the hobby, Magic the Gathering that I think are really important and highlight all of the the different aspects of the this game and this community. Yeah, that are very important that aren't really as much to do with you know, the actual competitive game itself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but these are still reasons that people can come to these events and everything, right? So it's a, it's like a really good tool that we can use to to bring more people into the events because we're just supplying more 
elements of the game that people might find attractive. Right. Especially if they're going to rebrand these things as magic fests. Yeah. And try to not yeah. <laughs> make the main event the main draw. Right. Then the, it needs to be attractive to players who are not, like, dreaming about the Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I, I definitely hope that... You know, whoever's making the decisions here, which I assume is Channel Fireball. Yeah, I think so. Because they are running all the Magic Fests. Uh, definitely take note of that and and realize the just the the worth that these artists have to the overall event experience. Mm-hmm. And if you're neglecting that and you're not supporting that enough as a as a host, then you're probably doing something wrong. Yeah, and it's definitely tough. Like, I don't think that anybody at Channel Fireball was like, how can we make the most money we can off of these artists? <laughs> well, of like, course, I right. doubt that that is the thing. But there is a really harmful, just the way things naturally develop with, you know, monopolies is that without competition, there's no competition in the Grand Prix sphere. So there aren't natural pushes towards more competitive practices which might be like paying for the big name artists and and giving them what they need you know the the competition isn't there to make sure that ooh we're getting the good artists and also I, I think there's just this really I don't know if it's toxic or just a little bit sad uh idea about like hey if you're involved with this thing you love then you don't get to make a as good of a living off of it um i know that like in general salaries at wizards of the coast are significantly lower than they are at equivalent companies you know one of the reasons that magic online struggled so much is that programmers have high salaries Mm -hmm. um but wizards paid significantly lower than market rate for experienced programmers that's one of the reasons that magic online struggle a lot and i think this extends out to a lot of things you know like cosplayers who come to these gps or or, or will come to these magic fests aren't aren't given you know the flights aren't necessarily paid for you know some of them might get some consideration most of them are doing it because they really enjoy this i don't know that that's right um I, i don't know you know our our pro players are certainly not making poker money and they're certainly not making, but <laughs> yeah. but but even beyond that, you know, they're not making Dota money, they're not making League of Legends money, they're not making Hearthstone's money. Um, there, there's just a an idea that like, well, it's magic, like, <laughs> and I know there's not some like mysterious huge pool of money that's they that can just be opened up and showered on these people who are doing a lot of hard work and deserve more, but I do think that some sort of attitude shift would be a very good thing yeah. you know yeah. our, our community is worse when reed duke and lsv aren't making videos and our community is worse when people don't come to gps because the artist that they wanted to get their you know uh commander card signed isn't going to be there because they couldn't afford to be like that makes our community worse yeah yeah for sure i agree just my thoughts yeah I mean, good. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. I mean, that's that's what we're all here for. Yeah. I think that that's going to be it for this week. So, yeah, we will we will get to a Patreon question, maybe a bonus one next week, but we're going to have to wrap it up for this one. Thanks so much to everybody for listening. Really appreciate it. Again, um, any patrons who have not sent me your address to get those tokens out to, go ahead and DM, me, DM that to me on Twitter 
or Discord or wherever. If you'd like to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast, or you can go to mtggrindcast.com where you can find all of our stuff, including links to Collins's one-on-one coaching services. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at mtg underscore grindcast, and Collins is also on Twitter, at Collins Mullen. And that's all from us. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Peace. See you at Baltimore. Oh, yeah.